With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Seria Chronicles is a Bayer Chronicles production. <laughs> To another episode of the Steady Out Chronicles podcast. I am super excited this week, and I feel like you can really feel that in my voice. Uh, we the guests keep getting better and better. We had Mark Bosnich last week, uh, and of course, Nikki Bandini and I are so happy to be reunited with Gab Marcotti. Hello, Gab. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Great to have the gang back together again. Yes, it is. It's super nice. If any of you have obviously listened to the predecessor of this podcast, uh, we did a show once upon a time and it was all three of us. It was argumentative. It was entertaining. It was the end all and be all of Seria chat. Of course, I am always joined by the wonderful Nikki Bandini, who isn't in her new flat, and she is trying to convince us this is the neatest it's ever been. How are you, Nikki? Gabs, Gabs showed up we haven't seen gavin a little while we've been in our separate little media universes as happens when you're busy and when there's a global pandemic to be fair yeah (laughs) uh grab has showed up with uh, a gigantic bee in the background and some chaos around and immediately started throwing shade at my beautiful (laughs) tidy backdrop with a plant with pictures of my nieces with a chair that shouldn't really be here it's too big i need to get rid of it but very rude. Very, very rude. I, I miss your Nutella <laughs> artwork, you see. I'll bring it back. <laughs> and the best is he's like, where's your Nutella? And Nikki goes, oh, I haven't put up the artwork yet. And I'm really confused. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? And the artwork is Nutella? <laughs> um, Mina, how do you not remember this? You mentioned it a million times. Because that's how bad. I don't know Nutella no attention to detail. I swear in all my relationship, oh my I am basically the cliched man who has not noticed anything, including <laughs> haircuts. And, and it's always he who notices what I do or don't do from an aesthetic point of view. 
Now, ideally, obviously, I would really like to continue the chat because, guys, there is so much. I mean, I mean, this to you, the audience, we have so many funny memories to go through, the, the differences in opinion, just the bets that we have going on. But because we only have Gab for a short period of time, we want to get into the thick of it as quickly as possible. And we have to start off with the Milan derby, which was so sensational, especially in the first half. It was a 1-1 draw. At San Siro. Basically, a lot of people have thought Milan were better in the first half, then Inter came back, and then it was Milan and towards the end. But Gab, was there was there a team for you that ought to have won this whole thing? I think it was a classic game where both teams could have won and it wouldn't have been a scandal. It would have been deserved, whether you know, you think back to the Kessie chance, uh, Salamakers uh, hitting the woodwork, um, or indeed on the other end, obviously Lautaro missing the penalty, the Vidal chance as well. But I thought a draw was a fair result. And I, I liked, I, like as a neutral, I think you would have liked everything about this game. The way the two teams approached it, you know, they wanted to win more than they wanted to avoid losing, which is, you know, not something to be taken granted when it comes to derbies. Even the referee and, you know, people will go and and, and maybe question. But the more I see the penalty that Kessie gave, gave away, the more I think to myself, even just five years ago, the referee would have blown up for a foul, you know, the minute um, Shalanoglu's leg comes across, right? Uh, but here they let it go because... You know, they kind of embrace the fact that you can't give these ticky-tacky fouls all the time. It's not necessarily what people want. And, um, yeah, so I thought it was all good. Right down to Shalanoglu trolling the Milan fans. <laughs> I I love that. I have to admit, I, I love that as well. It just was, it was so, there was so much um, pettiness going on in general. You expect that. It was wonderful, right? I know it's stupid, but, like, when you haven't had... Um, when you haven't had a, a a Milan derby in this long. And I think right from the sort of opening choreography where the, the Milan fans did this extraordinary choreography saying thank you um, to uh, to the uh, nurses and doctors who worked through the pandemic. Incredible, like classic derby choreography of the sort we haven't seen since before the pandemic, the, you know, spilling down three tiers and, and drama. And at the other end, you've got Inter, who've just done a picture of an ultra. So, you know, still an impressive choreographer, by the way. It still takes up a whole cheer. In uh, a picture of an ultra um, with the Scudetto and a, and a Milan fan in a jester hat crying in the background, which just looks so petty when you square it against the thank you to the doctors and the nurses. And a little part of my brain even thought, do you think the Milan fans thought to themselves, if we do something that's grandiose and they do something about themselves, it's going to make them look even worse? I I don't know if I'm going too far with my reading of that one. Um, but that, and then Chalanoglu, who doesn't really have any reason to hate Milan. They offered him a new contract. They wanted him to stay. He wasn't like he was kicked out. He just left. And far from being this sort of classic thing we see in Serie A all the time, we see it so often, oh, no, I won't celebrate against my old team. He actually goes and does immediately the hands behind the ears what are you saying about me? Uh, celebration to the Milan fans. I, I loved that, even though it was so, so petty. Yeah, I, it was I funny don't... because... Oh, sorry. No, sorry, I was just going to say, like, I, I don't particularly like 
Sean Oglu, I don't think he's that good. I although he had a tremendous game, and I think Milan were totally correct in saying, "All right, dude, you're only worth so much, and this is what we're going to offer you." And you know, he didn't take it, and so and he found somebody across town who was willing to give him more than that, and so fair play to him. You know, he he walked the walk, and now he gets to go and and crow about it. I, I really have no problem. I mean, some people in Italy say, "Well, you know." That's disrespectful. They compared it to to Ibrahimovic trying to like wind up the crowd. I thought I, I had no problem with that uh, whatsoever. I, I totally agree with you. I, I think that what was interesting about this is everyone was saying, "Oh, Hakan was the last to come into the into dressing room." Well, he was saying hello to Paolo Maldini, to Stefano Pioli. Everyone was hugging and kissing him. So it really doesn't look like he is on bad terms with anyone at Milan, and he just chose somewhere somewhere that he felt that he was getting everything that he wanted. Which begs the question, why is he trolling the fans? Because he says, when I walk around Milan, they all want to pose for pictures with me. But I guess what I wanted to ask you... I think you, he just enjoys it. I think he was <laughs> just having fun. I really do. And, and that's kind of what I love about it. Because if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm no athlete really, but I feel like I would be I would be the sort of person if I was in that position where I would be like, oh, no, I'm going to be apologetic about it. I'm going to not want to upset people. But I think because I'm like that, sometimes seeing someone who just unashamedly is like, no, I'm loving this. I'm loving being the person who who threw some some mud back in your eye. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's fun to to watch. Is that why you're friends with Gab and I? Because we are that person. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask you guys that. Would you celebrate against your former teams? I want to know if you guys would. Oh, I walk the walk, but I don't talk the talk. Sorry. <laughs> what about you, Gab? It, it all depends how how you leave them. Um, look, obviously, at an individual level, um, you know, he, those were his teammates and stuff like that. But I can see from the fans' perspective, you're the guy who turned down our offer and you walked on a free transfer and you walked across town to our big rivals. He's obviously not the first person to play for both Milan clubs, but I can understand them being being annoyed. And from his perspective, you know, it hurts when people don't believe in you. You know, he, he felt he had a good season, not so much, I think the last year, but the year before that, but I don't think Hakan Chalanoglu had a tremendous game. I think Milan made the right decision. I don't think it was the right signing for Inter either personally in the long term. but, but Hey, this is his moment. I love the way he grabbed the ball from Lautaro to take the penalty when he wasn't a designated penalty taker, um, you know, he he absolutely deserves this and he gets to enjoy it. You know, it's it, it's funny because uh, Chalunoglu sometimes just really disappears from matches and it's sometimes when it seems like he needs to step up, he does know how to step up. So I wonder if it is a mental thing. But I wanted to ask you guys, because you obviously mentioned that he took the ball from Lazaro Martinez and he scored the, the penalty were you both a little bit disappointed with the attacking force of both teams? You know, neither Zlatan or Zeko really played their best game. Was it a game that was always going to be played through the middle that was going to be a little bit gritty? And do you wonder somehow, I just feel like when I watch Milan that it all looks a little bit messy sometimes, you know, not so refined and controlled. And whether or not they lack a little bit of physicality. Um, you know, Brahim Diaz, Leao, so easily knocked off the ball when Inter just really try to take control of things. Is that what's missing for Milan also from the point of view when we talk about Europe? I'll let Gab go first on that. Yeah. Um I don't I don't think so. I don't 
um, I think you have to kind of interpret the game. And the minute you saw from the first minute that this is going to be sort of a high intensity game, Milan said, fine, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and, and we'll match you in that. You know, the ultimate, the holy grail is matching quality with intensity, right? If you watch Manchester City play and you see Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva, who are far more talented than anybody at Milan not named Slatan, um, <laughs> they also bring that intensity, right? And they manage to do it even though they're smaller, lighter players. There's, that's where you want to get to. You know, Brian Diaz is a little guy. I did not think he had a good game. But I think also because he's, you know, he's played out wide, which he hasn't yeah. done in a while. I think he's probably better in the middle. Um, but, you know, that's what you want. You want those guys to interpret the game that way. And if that means that you lose your shape a little bit sometimes, you know, that's okay. We're not, we're not playing table football here. You know, it's a, it's a dynamic, fluid sport. And I think sometimes it's much better to go and, and bring that energy than it is you necessarily rigorously keep your your keep your shape. Yeah, I, I don't know if I had a problem with um, the attacking um, as it was. I mean, actually, both teams had great, great chances. Gab's already alluded to it. Uh, Barella absolutely should score for Inter at the end of the first half. They missed a penalty as well. Um, and and Kessie had that great chance for Milan at the end. I thought that Inter were, the, were a better team overall. I think that Brozovic took a while to find his place in the game, but once he found it, especially in the second half, it really, um, it really swung in, in Inter's direction for quite a long time. Um, I think Inter have had and maybe continue to have a problem with the, the form of Lautaro. Um, so the fascinating thing about Chalanoglu taking that penalty is, um, as Gab said, he, he wasn't the designated penalty taker. Inzaghi confirmed that afterwards. He obviously took it because in that moment he felt like I've just won this penalty. I want to take it. But afterwards, um, when Tati Dushani saves Lautaro's penalty, Tati Dushani says, I was preparing for Lautaro's penalties. I'd actually practiced these things. I'd spoken to our coaches about him. Whereas Chalanoglu, well, I know him because he was here, but he also knows me really well. So in many ways, it was that moment of not having Lautaro be responsible that actually was, was how Inter did get their goal. And Lautaro hasn't scored since the last international break. So it's been, I think it's seven matches he played in between and he hasn't scored in any of them. That's that is a concern. That that's a real concern for Inter. But I didn't feel like the the build up play was lacking for them, and and for Milan, yeah, I, I'm kind of inclined to agree with Gab. I don't think physicality is what worries me with this team. I think they just play in a a, a quick strike um direct way, and and that can suit them really really well. I felt like in in this game they they just lost that fight in the middle of the pitch a little bit, and especially as I say, once Brozovic really started to 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 be epic Brozo in the second half. I think they just, they, yeah, they lost control of it. So when I was looking at this, it looked like for me, it was more of a, of a task in midfield in the sense that, you know, we're going to block Brozovic. We're going to try to block Chananoglu. You know, Barella is going to um, try to be, we're going to try to snap him as well. Um, and I and I felt like that took away a little bit from the, from the creativity of Milan. But they got so tired, I feel, after the first half that they started to, Oh, try to collect their breath in the second half. And that's when, obviously, Brozovic could take control of the match. And for me, that's when Inter started to dominate, is when Milan tied. But then, of course, everyone started talking about Pioli's substitutions. And everyone compared it to Inzaghi, which I think is a little bit unfair. But they said that uh, Pioli knew how to impact the match with his subs. 
in a way that Inzaghi didn't. And perhaps that's why Milan was so strong in the last 10 minutes. Would you agree with that? Or do you think it's the subs? Do you think it's bringing on runners like Rebic and uh, and Benacer as well, who controlled the ball so well that made the difference for Milan in the end? Uh, yeah, no. A really quick answer before kicking it to Gab. The really quick answer is this actually has come, this change happens before the um, substitutions because the goal was conceded before substitutions. But Inzaghi's uh, team, Inter, have, have thrown away 11 points from winning positions this season. And to me, that's a problem. To me, mm. that's enough of a pattern mm. to start saying, yes, he's not getting his substitutions right, whether or not you think it is for this game. But yeah, sorry, Gab, to cut you off. No, um, well, I think to answer me the question, yeah, definitely. I throw salad makers into the into the mix as well. Um, you know, when you've had a first half that's so intense, and then all of a sudden, you know, you bring on Speedy Gonzalez, he's going to look that much faster uh, against tired legs. I think increasingly, you're seeing this a lot in Serie A. You're seeing this a lot in um, in the Bundesliga as well. With the five substitutions, I think. A lot of coaches cha- have changed their approach to the game. I think Pioli's a big, a big example of that because, you know, you can change so much of a team in the second half. They almost have almost like lines in hockey, right? They have designated people who come on with specific tasks for specific situations. And, and I thought Pioli did that very well. The one other thing which we haven't mentioned, I just need to give him a shout out just because it was so weird. Theo Hernandez wasn't playing in this game and he wasn't playing in this game because of that weird second yellow he got when he just kind of fell over. Do you remember that? And he got a second yellow. (laughs) Um, It is amazing how things impact because I think if Theo plays this game, it's not going to be an automatic thing, but not only does he make Milan a lot better while Theo's not flawless defensively, he certainly, he doesn't get caught out the way Balotore gets caught out for the penalty. So to me, that just means that, um, you know, it's, we talk about these games in isolation, but there's a whole story that comes before and a story that comes after. Yeah. I I think it's uh, for once we all agree. It's, it's very fair to end one, one. It was a great match. I think we saw some great things from both teams. Definitely can't see that there's seven points separating them, but quickly, Gab, who do you think will finish higher, Inter or Milan? I think Milan. I know will. you hate predictions. That's why. I'm no, I, th- I, think, <laughs> I think Milan will. I, you know, I they're ahead now. Inzaghi's doing a better job than I thought. I also one of the things I want to mention with Inzaghi in this game is we've seen Inter in a bunch of games this season against Lazio and whatnot, where with the intensity the occasion gets to them and they kind of lose their heads late on. They get they get nervous and. Zaghi had sent off, whatever. This didn't happen. This could have happened in this game, but it didn't happen. You know, this was a game where they managed to channel, channel their intensity. They didn't do stupid things. Vidal didn't get sent off, all this other stuff. Um, <laughs> that, to me, bodes really, really well. He did miss his chance to win the game, but yes. <laughs> oh, yes, that is entirely true. But... We should move on to the next match because that was also super exciting and created so many storylines. Gab, I've already listened secretly to some of what you had said about this match. Nikki, I know you have a special love for Venezia as well, and I know that you were very excited, much like me, to have Mourinho and all his drama back at Roma. 
And so this was an interesting game because not in a million years would you have told me the worst attack in Serie A would win 3-2 over Roma. And in fact, I actually had a little bet on this game and I thought for sure Roma would win it, especially with the fact that Shmurdov was starting. I was like, yay! Um, didn't go to plan. The defense fell apart. Mourinho is more dramatic than ever. Does he deserve his alibis? Because let's be honest, if we compare the number of points that Roma have collected this season to what Paolo Fonseca has done, Mourinho has done worse both in comparison to Fonseca's first and his second season. And this is despite spending money that he says is, and it was there to just replace what was lost. So does Mourinho deserve a little bit more time or is he just somebody who needs to win? So it's always going to be dramatic when he doesn't. I'll start off with you, Nikki. Oh, I was now say send it to Gab because I think Gab, from what you've suggested before we started, might have a an opinion that is different to mine on this. Um, I, I, I absolutely. I know that's think, why I want um, him to come back on you. <laughs> <laughs> you to, oh, I see how he's, I'm. I'm being set up to be knocked down. I get yes! it. I get it. It's okay. Gab's our guest. We can we can be nice to him. Um, I, uh, I know. I, abs- I absolutely think that Mourinho um, uh, is is at that point already. That's really worrying me where the excuses come so thick and fast but the improvement does not um I think it's extraordinary as you said Mina an attack that has not been scoring goals for Nezia it's not just that they scored three goals it's that they could have scored a couple more at the Mm. end of this game as well they hit the bar twice at the end of this game um you know there, there were some things brief moments in this game where you thought oh that's good to see Tammy Abraham's goal was really nice uh he, he looked like um exactly the the striker that they thought they were getting early in the season who hasn't been around in terms of performance as much in the last couple of games. But I, I just can't get over Mourinho's reaction to everything. I personally thought the Venezia penalty was a penalty. I understand um, there may be some a suspicion of a push before the foul, before by the foul by Cristante, but to me at least that the kick by Cristante uh, on Caldera is, is a foul. Um, and I think regardless of that, who are you trying to kid that Venezia are one of the powers of the division and that this is one of the teams that's got the referees helping it out. Venezia, who two weeks ago were literally republishing video of a penalty decision against them on Twitter to highlight how bad it was. I, 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 I just think this narrative is, it's so repetitive. It's ridiculous. And it's absolutely his fault that that defense wasn't better. Well, look, it's one win in seven, right? Uh, in all competitions. And I have no, I, I have no problem pointing out or calling out Mourinho when he does and says stupid or unfair things, which occasionally he does or when he, or when he makes mistakes. Like I, I did that, you know, I thought it was completely absurd what he said after the, uh, the, the six one against, against Bodo Glimt. Um, as you know, I can criticize him. My main point. Was that in some ways this is the Mourinho of old, you know, with uh, going after the referees and saying, "Oh, I can't say anything. I can't say anything. Otherwise, I need to protect myself. Otherwise, you know, they'll suspend me." You know, which is, and then he says stuff anyway. <laughs> but, but in other ways, this is a different Mourinho because it's a different Roma. Um, they, this this Roma team, their faults, I think, have nothing to do with what we've seen from what we saw with Mourinho teams. In his earlier stops at Spurs um, and at United, where people said, well, he's too negative, he's too defensive, not enough creativity, not enough um, attack. 
this Roma team attack all the time. Um, they're distinctly, if anything, they're distinctly unbalanced. Um, this does not look defensively like a Mourinho team. And again, making the big call of going with the two strikers plus El Shirawi and so on. I mean, this is a team that it, it seems to me like as if Mourinho's well aware that modern football, you can't play defend and counter. Um, he just simply hasn't gotten the balance right. Um, and maybe he'll get there. Maybe he won't. But I think that's a big part of the reason why they've scored a fair bit and they've conceded a fair bit as well um, in most games. The other, and, and so as a result, you get a team where obviously the philosophies are very different. But in the end, this feels a little bit like Fonseca's Roma in that they concede a lot of goals. They commit a lot of people forward. Um and they fail to beat the big teams because that's one point too to make in those those seven games where he's won one and seven. Well, in those games you have you have the derby, um, you have the Milan game. You know you've got games against some tough opponents as well. It's not like they were playing Venezia every week, right? So I think that goes to his defense a little bit. I guess most of you can't say it's the same old Mourinho. Um, that part is only true for some things. Sorry, I, I know that Nikki also wants to come back on this, but there is one thing that I'm going to say. There's, I remember against Milan, they didn't have a shot on target in the first half and it didn't come through until, what, the 20-something minute in the second half is when Roma finally had a shot on target. I know that offensively they have lots of shot, but there doesn't seem to be an offensive scheme that isn't reliant entirely on Pellegrini doing something and coming up with something. Um, and, and for me, I feel like, you know, as Gazette de los Sport put it, and I thought I agreed so well, there's a creative constipation. I think that sometimes when they yeah, do uh, face sides... Mina, I'm, sorry, up, sorry, Mina, just, just yeah? to avoid doubt, I'm not saying that they're attacking well. I'm saying that they're okay. attacking. They're attacking. <laughs> he's brought this energy. He's brought this bravery, if you will, which which maybe wasn't there but before. But is it naive, is my, is my point. I mean, this it's is not naive. They've hit the woodwork 14 times this season, right? I just think it's not good. It's not where he wants it to be. It's not. Um, it's not efficient. Um, ultimately, the point of the game is to create chances, and you can do it many different ways you want. They create lots of lots of shots and commit people forward, so they're not there yet. But my point is, this is not something Mourinho has done before. Mourinho, we've never, we haven't seen Mourinho attack with so many men in one go, and I think in that sense. This is different. He feels like somebody who's trying to play differently and not quite getting there. I, 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 I'm really fascinated, Gab, though, by what you think about this in a, in a greater sense, right? Because we're talking about someone who signed a three-year contract. He's not supposed to be there for five minutes. He's supposed to be there for three seasons. He's getting about €9 million Euros gross, I think, for the season, which in Serie A puts him, uh, I can't even think who would be paid more than him in Serie A this season. I'm guessing Allegri. No, um, you know, Mourinho is the sure highest paid. Is actually. Yeah, Mourinho is yeah, the highest is, paid yeah. coach in Serie A. Yeah. Um, so given that you have an ownership who really aren't trying to do this to make the fans happy or to uh, even do it for the reputation, you've got an ownership that was interested in Loma as a business pr proposition, really. Um are you not worried about this? Are you not worried about the fact that the man you're spending all this money on is already at this point in the season torching the squad that he has? And he did it in a way where he phrased it in his press conference saying, okay, it's not the ownership's fault. But at the same time, torching his squad repeatedly saying, I've only got 
13 or 14 players that I can use, um, despite the fact that about 100 million euros was spent in the transfer window. Um, and saying after this game, look, I'm not someone who constructs, I'm someone who reacts, I think his phrase was. I, it, this yeah. is not a good recipe for me. Like, I, no, I, I, I don't, I, I'm think... not here trying to just, to just, just, to just completely uh, trash Mourinho. I know it sounds like that, but I've actually been on this podcast at the beginning of the season expressing how excited I was yes. to have Mourinho and said, yeah, it's fun. It's fun having Mourinho around. Yeah, but unless you're his employer. The situation at all seems bad. No, look, I, I don't think he was... I, I think the Freakins haven't been particularly public or forthcoming with what their grand view is um, from any kind of, whether you want to use the term money ball or return on investment. Hiring Mourinho, I thought, made very little sense unless they're willing to go and you know, spend a lot of money and give him the sort of tools that that he's had in the past. I, on the surface, I think that seems obvious to me. But then, look, I would have kept Paulo Fonseca, you know, because I thought I think he's a really, really good manager. Um, yes, yes. That said, um, you know, m- what I think is interesting and often gets missed because Mourinho is so polarizing is that he is trying to do the things differently. He has generated enthusiasm. You know, it is only early November now. If Mourinho goes out, tantrum some more, and the freakings sit there and say, man, this guy's a colossal pain in the rear end, but, you know, in for a dime, in for a dollar, we're committed to him for three years. It's going to cost us so much money. He's telling us to go and spend more money. All right, fine. Let's go find another 50 million under the sofa so we can go and spend it this, uh, this January. Then he might get his way and maybe he'll get the players he wants and maybe he'll do well. But I'll tell you what, I don't, I don't think it's a great way to bring a project forward, you know, which is why I wasn't against it. But now you're in there. You've committed. That ring is on the finger there. So you're kind of stuck. So you either proceed, you either cut your losses, which you're not going to do, or you proceed with this. Even if it means, look, Zagnolo was benched. I I don't think Zagnolo has been the problem. In fact, when I've seen Zagnolo play, that level of combination of physicality, energy, and quality that he brings, Gets me excited to see an Italy player like that. I haven't seen one in a long, long time. Now I think ahead, ooh, Zaniolo and Chiesa, man, we're gonna batter you with quality and muscle. Awesome. Then he goes and benches him. You know, I don't know. Is this a one-off? Is he gonna bench him again? Is he gonna pick a fight with him just because he can? You know, the way he did with Pogba. I don't know. And then this is the thing with Mourinho's, you don't know where you're going with this. But all that said, they've had a tough schedule. He's trying to do things differently. And I think those things need to be recognized. Is it enough? Is he living up to his wages or this team's potential? I don't, I genuinely don't think so. Not so far, but, you know, let's weigh things up further on. I mean, look, I, I have to agree with you. I think for me that I would have never sank Paolo Fonseca. I mean, I really am excited that Jose Mourinho and Serie A, and, and by all means, I think I celebrated it more than I celebrated that, you know, the, the nine trophies with Juventus. But, <laughs> But for me, it is a question of, you know, I could see the actual growth and the progression of the different players on an individual level, on a quality level, on a tactical level under Fonseca that I'm not seeing right now under Jose Mourinho. And for me, it's about striking the balance fine, but I think defensively they're shoddy and attacking-wise, I think they don't have much of a clue going forward. Of course, like you said, this is the very beginning and I am talking really fast because I have so much to try to cram in (laughs) with all of this. But for me, I mean, it, it is a case of, you know, you've finally given Schmorodov a chance, which he should have gotten a lot more earlier. 
Secondly, you've considered 11 goals to Bodo Glimt and Venezia. This isn't, you know, Milan and Inter when everyone was accusing Fonseca of not winning the big matches. You're actually conceding a number and a ton of goals against opponents that shouldn't be there. I don't see Villa at all being even mentioned. Borja Mayoral was scoring nonstop and he's not even being given chances. He talks about missing Juan Jesus and Bruno Perez. Like, are you freaking joking? So the question <laughs> for me here is, I mean, really, I mean, Jesus Christ. So the question for me here is like, you know, you want a guy and you want to build a project with him, but does he have the patience to build the project or is he already angry that they're not winning? If he shows me that, you know, he's all right with all of this and it's just about baby steps until we get there, then that's cool. But he's got to show me the value add. You have less points than than what Fonseca managed. So what are you bringing to the plate other than just constant arguing? And yes, the referees haven't been great to you. Fine, I agree with that. Anyway, Mourinho annoys me. Allegri annoys me. So let's get on to Juventus. <laughs> Usually, like uh, Nikki always loves to say, I am a, a huge apologist for Allegri and... And I think that she can be a little bit too. But I know, Gab, that you're not. And obviously, there is a 1-0 <laughs> victory over Fiorentina. Um, he released the shackles at least a little bit in the Champions League. And we saw a little bit of fun and excitement. And we saw ooh, several goals. And then it all fell apart when they faced Fiorentina. So, Allegri, should we sack him? <laughs> uh, look, I don't know. I, I think when Allegri took the job... He looked at the situation. Again, I think Allegri understands that football's moved on, that, you know, he wasn't going to be, I don't know, we've had this conversation many times, right, about the direction mm -hmm. of travel and that Juventus committed to a certain direction under Sarri and Pirlo and it didn't work out for different reasons. I think Allegri looks at it genuinely and says, I'm a smarter coach than those guys. I can play defensive football. I can play more attack, more attacking football. I'm a better man manager. I'm more experienced. So I'm just going to get these players and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to coach my way out of it because Keza, Kulusevsky, Locatelli, these are good players. The Lake, um, I think he genuinely thought he could do that. And maybe he still can. And it's taking longer. And I genuinely don't know what to tell you because I see them against Zenit. And again, Leaving aside the scoreline, right? And I absolutely yeah. hate it. There's certain people, sorry, I mean that, especially Juve fans who, it's all about the result, Fido la fine, all this nonsense, right? All this garbage. <laughs> so, you know, when they beat Chelsea, I'm like, oh, big win over Chelsea. You're also, you know, lucky as hell. Like, you didn't deserve to win that game at all. Oh, don't you think so? I thought they played well in that game. Yeah, well, I, I just thought you. it was just a lot yeah. of defending and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you know. But... I saw the game against Zenit and I said, this is good. This is what you want to do. You're taking the game to the opposition. You're imposing yourself. Chiesa is unshackled. He's running rampant. Even Bernardeschi played well. I, you know, this is good. Dybala looked alive, right? And so I said, all right, have they turned the corner? Can they, can they carry this over against Fiorentina? And Fiorentina, by the way, oh, I think have an exceptional and often overlooked coach in Italiano. And there's actually some things that worked really well. Um, I thought, you know, I didn't see Vlaovic on the pitch, presumably because Delict stuffed him in his shorts and we didn't see him. <laughs> but Delict was really good. Delict, who, by the way, has received a lot of unfair criticism. Again, 
from certain Juve types who believe that Bonucci and Chiellini can still get the job done consistently and that it's, you know, 2010. That said, Chiesa came alive far too late. The less said about the other attackers in this game, the better. Um, and I look at this and, you know, come be like, oh, but Bernardeschi wasn't there. And so he had to, I'm sorry, if you're relying on Bernardeschi to be a difference maker, you know, you've got problems. I, I genuinely, I genuinely don't know. I, I hope Allegri goes away next two weeks, sits down with his staff, and says, "All right, why are we so Jekyll and Hyde in terms of performance and mentality and approach? Leave the results to one side. The results will come in the end. It's Juve. They'll sneak up the table, and then you know whatever they'll be in with a shot. Right? Come April, um, they'll be there thereabouts. Right? I'm not. You don't worry about that. But they've shown that they can actually play the way." I think mm. Allegri would want him to play. Um, but then they, four days later, you know, you get this crap that we saw without a single shot on target until Milenkovic went, uh, was sent off. That's not good enough. And it's really, I think, it's really Allegri's got to wonder, why are they like this? Yeah, I, I, it's the classic Allegri narrative, isn't it, though, that, that he takes a bit of a season to work things out. And then when he works it out, that's when the shackles do come off, which is, I, I, totally see where you're coming from Gabby get that Zenit game you think is this the moment I think that's what's bugging me so far is I I don't see the innovation where's where's this innovation coming taking the shackles off Federico Chiesa sounds great right that's what I want to see I I love watching Federico Chiesa play I thought even in this game where events weren't great that single-mindedness that he has where it's just like I'm just going to try and win this game now (laughs) it nearly worked right like he had a shot off the bar he had another one that went really close I think it's kind of funny you mentioned Bernadeschi there who's another Fiorentina eggs that but I think it's kind of funny that a lot of us were all focused on Chiesa waiting for him to to win the game against his former team then Cuadrado who by the way shows up so often at the end of games I would love to have like a (laughs) <laughs> put together a file of just all the like 85th minute onwards goals he scored because there's been quite a few um but it's it's easy to say take the shackles off Kiesa and and that'll it'll fix things and I've even probably said things like that I'm not saying that to have a go at you because I think I've said things like that but what is the system what is the system that allows Kiesa to take the shackles off? What is the system that is going to consistently get us the best of Federico Chiesa? Because as far as I'm concerned, that should be the whole plan right now because he's the best player they've got. Right, but the problem is though, Nikki, sorry, uh, sorry, Mina, is that you have another player who's likely going to become the highest paid player at Juventus <laughs> by some distance, who's also yes. supposedly the best player at the club. He isn't. <laughs> I know who you're talking about and he's not. <laughs> I know, but yeah, I'm talking about Paolo Dybala. No, but, Ooh, but, but this is the thing. This him. is where, <laughs> yeah. because of the crappy way, the crappy short-sighted way that mm-hmm. this club's been run in a long time, they're now up a creek without a paddle, right? They're so terrified of losing Dybala on a free transfer. Just lose it. Honestly, I would say, whatever he's making now, you've saved yourself that yes. money. Yes. Let yes. him go. Dare him. Hey, Paolo, you think there's a big queue of people waiting up for you? Let's see what yeah, let, let's see. No, honestly, but Mina, you're with me. You either come back on our terms or that's it. Yes, yes. Do what Milan did. Why not? You know, like, Same thing go, go and find your better salary. Go, please, you know. This club's been around. I don't even know if they're at the 100-year mark or if it just feels that way. But you've been around for a long time. 
And I know that they like to use this marketing term about winning all the time. No, they haven't won all the time. Sometimes yes. you need to go backwards to go forwards. And it's one thing if you're saying we have Cristiano Ronaldo, let's put all our, let's push or put all our chips in the middle of the table because we won in the Champions League. Fine. But he's not there anymore. He's gone. You can't treat Dybala and Morata say they're so important now because Ronaldo's gone. Yes. Just live with it. You've got a bazillion guys on loan around Europe. Just dare them to do something. Don't don't succumb to Dybala. Where do you think he's going to go? You think Conte is going to take him at Spurs? The chip sailed. Did you think he's going to United? Who's going to give you? Who's going to offer Dybala, twenty-eight-year-old Dybala, a big contract? Nobody. Nobody. So you work out something with him. I really hope they take a hard line with him, because otherwise we're back to the same to the same nonsense as before. That because Dybala is there, because Morata is there. Oh, then there's no money. Then we have to get some so some crappy low-rent striker next year. And local Kesa has to go and check himself because he doesn't want to destabilize what Dybala might be doing somewhere on the pitch. No. No. If you have to rebuild, rebuild. Rebuild with Allegri. He's shown that he can do it. But, you know, it's like, like, like the party's over. Chiellini's going to be gone soon. Bonucci hopefully will be gone as well. I mean, it's like hopefully because they're bad, but because you can't keep squeezing this stuff. Have the ball to go out there and say, Delict, Locatelli, uh, Chiesa, Kulusevsky, maybe. You guys are what we're going to build around. If it takes time, it takes time. But we've I come actually, back before. I um, have a thought in my head, Gab, um, about Bonucci and, and Chiellini, which is it's a challenging thought because as an Italian, I, I loved this summer and they came together this summer in that way that, that they do and, and they were brilliant. And I almost want... You were nicely hedged in the final there, weren't you, Nikki? I I I had a piece explaining why I wasn't that hedged, actually, Gab. And I'll be <laughs> nah, I was I'm nicely joking. hedged financially, though. Um, good betting this summer. Um, as you know, Gab, I know a thing or two about putting a good bet on the football. Um, but I, I wonder if uh, Bonucci and Chiellini's summer has almost deluded people about where we are in this story. Because Chiellini had an amazing summer, but Chiellini is, is not Chiellini of, of five years ago, probably not even two years ago at this point. And they, that transition to delict has been too slow now. And I, I think I'm with you with your, your big point here. Juventus are not going to win the league this season. I'm probably going to end up regretting this. Someone's going to wave it in my face when they somehow do. But they're still, even after this weekend, 14 <laughs> points back. They're not going to win the league this season. They'll probably make the top four. But this is the moment to start embracing long-term planning and not be focused on the short-term planning. I think that's a really good point you made there. I, I just don't understand why they're being held hostage. I also want to understand why Rogani is still in this team. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's not like he made some major error, but it hurts me that this guy that couldn't even put in a performance for Cagliari is now starting for Juventus, you know? The Shilio's there too. Does that cheer you up? Yeah, no, but he's at least somebody that even, you know, Allegri believes in. I mean, honestly speaking, but I mean, Rabio, like, who is this man? Like, honestly, what have you done? Like, what have you done to my team? You know, and Dybala, for all of his brilliance that he can produce on the pitch, and I have always maintained that, this is also a man who firstly keeps asking for more money, and on top of that, is always, always injured. You can never consistently rely on him for physically to be present. You know, your best ability is your availability. Sorry, it is a cliche, but <laughs> be available. I mean... 
the man never is. And so for me, I, I, it's being held hostage by too many average players. You know, Arthur's always injured. I, I don't know what Rabio does, really, honestly. I mean, it's not like he's terrible. I just don't know what he produces of value, really. So... Shall we call Nikki for bringing up Aaron Ramsey too? But they are working on getting rid of him, so at least on that, they're not being held hostage. All right, right, can we can we say can we put something slightly in Allegri's defense? I will always defend him. Yes, or in Juve's defense, I I I feel dirty defending the club. It does mess up your plans when Cristiano Ronaldo forty eight hours from the end of the transfer window leaves because Cristiano Ronaldo affects so many things. And I think, you know, we have to, we have to accept that. Maybe one day somebody will talk and tell us the real story that, you know, I'm pretty sure they tried to peddle him all summer and nobody was interested. And in the end, George Mendes had to go and knock on doors around Europe to find, until they could find somebody who could afford him and Cristiano wanted to go to. But it does completely, completely mess you up at that stage when you've done your whole preseason yeah. thinking Cristiano is going to be a part of it. Um, and to Allegri, more than other managers, that whole work that they do in the preseason is really, really important. And in the words of Fabio Capello, I told him not to take that job. You'd be made a scapegoat. So at least they're winning in the Champions League. That's all that Juve, well, nowadays cares about. Gab, do we have you a few more minutes just to ask you a few predictions? Or you hate that part, I know. I don't like predictions, but go ahead. Well, I just uh, wanted to ask you about Napoli because they drew with Elas Verona. Igor Tudor is the best coach in Serie A at the moment. <laughs> um, at least uh, at least, just, you know, in the last few matches. What do you think about Spalletti's Napoli? Do you think this is a team that can really take it this season? So I'm sure Nikki remembers my thoughts on Spalletti. I think he's... Yeah, well, you, you called him the devil. <laughs> yeah, I think he's an oddball and he's a weirdo. Um, and you think it's weird that he speaks to his mom every morning? I <laughs> think, yeah, no, he's weird. No, but though he, no, no, he, is, he is weird about his mom because he like films her, it's weird. His but weird collective shirts. He wants to she hasn't fallen. <laughs> She's an old one. But, but I'll say this, he's obviously really good at coaching football and he's done a phenomenal job here. Um, you know, I genuinely think this Napoli team last season, you know, the wheels came off and I thought, oh my God, now you've, you've injected Spalletti into this combustible mix. Why don't you pour more lighter fluid on the fire? And I thought he was going to snap and he hasn't snapped yet. And instead, you know, they're, they're, they're top of the league. They're top of their Europa League group. They're playing phenomenal football. Uh, as great as Victor Osimhen is, it's not just because of Victor Osimhen. Uh, Koulibaly is back where he was. Uh, Fabian Ruiz is back where his talent says he should be. Zelensky had a stinker against Verona, but, you know, he's doing it too. I, I, Spalletti's been tremendous. He's handled everything, everything that's come at him. Will it last? I don't know. But so far, I mean, hats off to... Hats off to Spalletti. As much as we love Tudor and stuff, if we're going to make it separate category for you know, coach of the big teams and who is number one this season, uh, Spalletti mm-hmm. would be my big team coach of the year. Ah, the Pioli. So who would your top four be? I don't have to give you an order, right? In order. We want to know who we Yeah, we want basically we want the order. In order. No, I, yeah. I, I think, 
Uh, it's almost easy, right? Napoli, Milan, Inter, and... Okay. Oh, I say it, say it! You hate them. <laughs> and Atalanta, thank you. Oh, no, it's not. No, Juve in the top four. No, look, it's obvious Juve can, can, can sneak back in because they have a way of being sneaky that way. But I'll tell you what, if Atalanta, I mean, I guess they'll still go in the Europa League, but if they get knocked out, yeah, and, and their squad is big enough, um, there's no reason Atalanta can't finish top four, I, I think. And and I wouldn't. So it's them over Juve. What? So it's them over Juve. It's early. It's just that Allegri's got a ton to do. I don't even know what happens in January. Are they going to bring in a striker on loan? What are they going to do? How are they going to fix this? You know, I I thought Ugani did a job. The reason you know when you when you had your rant about Ugani before, yeah, okay, it's Ugani. But the other two guys are Bonucci and Chiellini, and you know they're not getting any younger. So you need a fourth defender. I mean, there's a lot to be done here. I have no, I have no idea if this guy Cherubini's any good at actually buying and selling players. I, I don't think the people who came before him are necessarily great. I don't know. So maybe bringing more of their loan players back. You know, move Chiellini upstairs, put Bonucci to one side, bring back, bring back Demiral, Delict, and you know, and you're good. I mean, I just just start doing things that that make sense. You know, that that aren't just for the immediate. Any other little tidbits that you would like to uh, to offer up to us? I mean, you know, Lazio did win 3-0 against Salernitana, so they are flying now, right? Yeah, in the inter-squad <laughs> scrimmage, right? <laughs> oh, I had to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, I think we're nearing the point where a lot of stuff that we used to accept, a lot of weird stuff that we used to accept as normal because hey it's it yeah we're different hopefully it's not normal anymore and so mm-hmm. that's why i hope no disrespect to my friends in salerno i hope that they go down um i hope castori mm-hmm. never comes back um i hope Cagliari go down um you know i want teams to do things the right way to stay up um and and to be rewarded with that and you know I think there's a lot of positives. I hope Vlaovic stays in Serie A. Um, mm. Hopefully Fiorentina, if not somewhere else. You mean um, Juventus? Yes. Yeah, but I'll, I'll say this about Juventus. I don't think Juventus can do another screwy Chiesa deal. I think there's enough eyes on them that um, I don't think – I generally don't know what's going to happen. But but yeah, if you, I mean, let me ask you, Mina, right? If you find some Muppet that takes Dybala with six months ago, and you look at the savings on his salary, you can make it work with Vlaovic. You take Vlaovic, right? I mean, is this a serious question? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. With everything I've thought about Dybala <laughs> for the last five years, I mean, I would, I will drive him to the airport wherever he would like <laughs> to go. I will give him my house. I bought Bitcoin when it was free. Oh so he can take that too. Just no, but, honestly speaking, dude, give me back my club. <laughs> but but I think, you know, that's the tricky thing, right? If, if you're Yuli, you're in this hole and some of it wasn't your fault. And... To get out of it, you know, in the past, you might have sacrificed a big piece. The only mm-hmm. big piece at Juve that there's only two big pieces at Juve that have any kind of market, and they are Delict and and Chiesa. And 
you don't want to let either one go. You don't want to sacrifice, oh, let me sell yeah. the lake for $100 million so I can buy three other guys. I don't trust whoever makes the decisions at Juve enough to know that the three guys I get are going to be better long-term than the lake. So you can't do that. So you got to sacrifice anybody else. Anybody who's not tied down, out, out, enough of this. And now enough with like, you know, accounting players like, like Arthur, enough Ramsey and this nonsense. Would you sacrifice, would you sacrifice Kulisevsky? Because that looks like the guy that they are looking to sacrifice. But who, who's going to, okay, Kulisevsky scored 40 million. So the magic of plus valence and amortization that we know Juventus are very good at to the point that they're being investigated. Um, I asked myself. Hey, 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 alongside other clubs, Gab. <laughs> yes, Juventus in that place, shock. Yeah, but yeah, but it is, mo- but whatever. But I don't want to get into that. They operated within the rules. Well, let's see. People from here also decide that. But the thing about Kulusevsky is Kulusevsky cost you forty million. This is this will be the end of his second season. I'm assuming he signed a four year deal, something like that. So you would have to sell him for more than twenty million to get money back. So even if you could sell him for thirty million, what? So what? So you've you've generated ten million, and then you need to replace him. You know, and he's still young. So I, I don't think it. You know, I have to I think you have to think bigger than that um, to do it. I, I I personally would rather keep Kulusevsky. He may be a difficult player to fit into your team, but he's not worth selling right now. You know, he doesn't have much of a market. And he's talented. Yeah, I he's agree. He's talented. Like, you're not talking about someone who's got no value to offer. Like, the, the, if you can work out the system for him, he's talented. Yeah, but... No, absolutely. You, you don't need to answer yeah. me now, but think about that. Everybody, it's not just about being talented. When you're at oh, of course. when you're at a top club, and Juventus in terms of, of history and obviously wages or whatever are a top club, even though right now they're further down, it's really difficult to sell players except to other top clubs because because of how screwed up and polarized mm. football is. And when you look around Europe, who would pay a big fee for Kulusevski? Only other top clubs. How many top clubs have wingers who are better than Kulusevski? Most of them. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to go to Spurs. I don't. Barcelona yeah, has no money. He's not going to go to Real Madrid. I, I think you know, where, where's he going to go? The up, the other thing that warps that conversation, though, when you talk about top clubs, is because of the way the finances are now in the Premier League specifically. Any of the Premier League clubs can act like a top club if they choose to. I I agree with you when it comes to Kudelski's um, market value. I think what's happened in the last year or two hasn't helped it. Um, Obviously, the pandemic hasn't helped almost anyone's market value, but I think his uh, indifferent last year at Juventus has probably dented Absolutely. his resale value. And 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 and, but I'm just making the case that it's. I can agree with all of that, but also on top of that, with Leia, that I think that there is an asset there that if you can work it out, you would really get something. But I think you're better off trying to get trying to turn Kulusevski into a productive asset rather yeah. than cashing in on Kulusevski so that you can sign some middling striker that you also need. You know, I, exactly. I think that's yeah. the issue. Right. Let's just move it on, Ben, because we know that next, obviously next episode, there won't be any Serie A matches, but it will be Italy. And of course, they have a huge match coming up against Switzerland that we need them to win if they are to maintain that first place in their group stage. So it looks a little bit, oh, I mean, uh, Barella looked like he pulled up with a muscle. We know that, you know, um, 
there are lots of injuries, at least for Roma, with Pellegrini and Zaniolo. Um, but Sandro Tonani is in. How do you think that matchup is going to go? Do you still believe in Italy continuing to play with the beauty that they showed us in, in Euro 2020? To both of you. I feel pretty confident. I don't know about you, Nikki, but, you know, given that Switzerland also have players out, I don't think, obviously anything can always go wrong at any time, right? But I feel pretty good about this. Yeah, I, I, Mina hedged it as the beauty of Euro 2020. We haven't seen that since Euro 2020. I don't think we're going to see that against Switzerland, but do I think that Italy should win this game? Yeah, I do. Uh, this clearly been an issue with, with goal scoring. That's been the issue uh, since the Euros. It's not a surprise given that even going into the Euros, we were asking questions about the, the, the first choice um, strike partnership. That's That's been the issue for a while. At the Euros, Italy did find those goals and the, there are goals right through the team. Um, I think Switzerland are a team that are very likely to take a very uh, cautious approach because that's what they've pretty much always done in their recent history and are likely to try to to, to play on the fact that they don't think that Italy are a team that are necessarily built to, to kick the door down um, very easily. But I, I have a reasonable amount of confidence, like Gab, that, that Italy should Italy should win this game and and doing that would um would really seal the group in effect. I, I should know whether it would seal the group mathematically, but it certainly would seal it in effect. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I would have really liked to have a few more arguments with you, but we don't have the time. Um. <laughs> Everyone was so nice today, but it was, um, I, I know Mina's going to do the wrap up, but I just want to say for myself as well, Gab, it was, it was so much fun having you on. It really was. Like, it was really nice to do this. Oh, thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah, it was really nice. And also because it's just, it, it's nice that everyone has such a different outlook and sometimes we can all agree and sometimes we don't. I'm sure everybody knows uh, where to find Gab Marcotti. If they don't, then they should be pulling their heads out of their bums and uh, <laughs> getting on that. But Gab, uh, nevertheless, we should say, is there anything you would like to let people know about where to find you or stuff you've been working on? Uh, well, yeah, well, you can find me on uh, on all ESPN uh, outlets. Um, my column uh, is on ESPN.com. I do a podcast and a show, clips are on YouTube and then, Different ESPN properties around the world, including BT Sport in the UK with one Julian Lawrence. It's called, like, imaginatively called the Gab and Jewel Show twice a week. Check it out. And yeah, you can always find me on Twitter as well, at Mark Cotti. Definitely do check out the Gab and Jewel Show, guys. If you're not already, it's a wicked podcast. It's almost as good as this one. <laughs> Okay, guys, I do just want to clarify because obviously I am a Juventus fan and, and I am still willing to drive Dybala to the airport. <laughs> In none of this, am I trying to say that I don't think he's a great player? It's just that I, I've said this all the time. I don't think it's working with Juventus. He's not somebody that I want to build my entire future around. So I hope that that does come across and that it does make sense. Like I said, there are injuries there. He, for me, hasn't been a consistent performer for a specific set of time that makes me feel I can rely on him. He is coming up to a certain age now where I need to see a week in and week out some fabulous performances. And yes, maybe he has his alibis. Maybe he's not surrounded by the best of them. But when you are a leader, then I'm expecting performances that are always, always absolutely beautiful. And I don't know if I can really depend on that. I do also feel a little bit sorry for Marata. I want to mention the fact that I think he has been a little bit hideous this season. 
But I do also think that he is somebody who loves to play sort of next to another, another. I mean, if you looked at it last season, he was sort of the middleman to Ronaldo. He likes being the guy that receives the ball and then delivers. And I think he's not doing that right now because people are looking to him to be the number nine. And actually, I think that's something he doesn't know how to do. Um, it's sad that he seems to be regressing because I think the player that he was when he first arrived at Juve was so fantastic. But sadly now, I don't really see much of that. Some people think it's a confidence thing. I don't know if it is. I just think on a tactical level, he needs a Tevez, he needs a Ronaldo, he needs a different type of player alongside him. He's never worked well with a Jao Felix or a Paolo Dybala for me. It's too creative for him. And he's then looked upon as the number nine. And I just don't think that suits his game, but I'm just going to leave it there. Now, Mina, right back in the long, long ago, probably at least eight weeks now, when we started this podcast, when we were first uh, introducing it and um, uh, saying hello to our, our new supporters who are being very generous and making donations. You can still make donations, by the way, over at seriachronicles.com forward slash supporter. Uh, and we were reading out some of their lovely mail and messages they'd written to us. You made a promise. I'm pretty sure, as we discussed on the podcast, it was a legally binding promise, a contractual no, promise, no. a guarantee to produce a limerick celebrating some of the messages we'd got. And all this time later, it still hasn't happened. Mina, uh-huh. I thought you, do you have a limerick forgotten. for me. Look, I was kind of hoping that, you know, like we're all getting older and that you might forget. And that, you know, I do forget a lot. <laughs> and I wouldn't be called up on this. Um, but uh, yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. You know, I, I guys, I promised you guys something and secretly I wanted to be a rap star when I was younger. And I think that's why I got carried <gasps> away with the idea. Um, <laughs> I was never going to be a rap star. It's never too late, Mina. I mean, it might be too late, but it's never too late. <laughs> Nikki, <laughs> I I would never. I would never. Uh-huh, I would never. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, at least I don't have a messy background. But let's. <laughs> I'm joking. Can I just say that I really loved. I really loved it when the Gabba called you up on it, considering what was at the back of this. Anyway, <laughs> I don't. This really isn't messy by my standards. If this is messy, I've got problems. <laughs> no, don't worry. I don't. I purposely don't show you mine, <laughs> so that nobody can say anything. Um, we actually had like a a, a comment because it was sometimes I don't know which ones that I just think I can work into a limerick, but. Um, we got one from Calcho Crawl on September the 21st. And uh, he said, firstly, delighted you have been able. Actually, I don't know if it's a he or she. I just said he, but Calcho Crawl, do tell us. Firstly, delighted you have been able to pull this together. Only just got to the first episode, which was excellent. Delighted you both played nice. I'm sure that won't always be the case. Have a great season. <laughs> yeah. So this is the one that ended up... Um, Well, let's just say uh, getting me to write this one. You both played nice, won't always be the case, wrote Calcho Kroll. Oh no, the ladies wondered, had they stumbled upon a troll? Beseeched with anxiety, Mina yearned for Nikki's dulcet tones to calm her nerves and rid her of the nerves brought on by hormones. Nikki assured (laughs) Calcho... (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm dying. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> Nikki assured Calcio Kroll was no troll. He was delighted and his words made them whole. It was, was worth it the worth wait. the wait? Did I? Did they make well, you? <laughs> I think our producer's like, "What? Well, that's lost." <laughs> I think so. I think producer Simon thinks we've actually fully lost lost the plot. Um, I personally um, uh, think that this is a great start. Um, I'm looking forward to you building on it as you build your new career in rap and limerick <laughs> uh, writing. Yes, they Just... will be centered around my hormones <laughs> and the anxiety that I suffer. Just, just to remind um, everyone, uh, you can make a one-off contribution at Sarah Chronicles to come for a supporter. And if you do, we might be able to bully Mina into uh, another um, limerick. Uh, we are actually also, um, we've just been open with all of the, about all of these things with you as we do them on this podcast. We're still working out how the best way to do everything is with this show. We are thinking about um, Patreon and whether or not we can offer some sort of content on Patreon uh, that would um, be something that you guys would like and uh, that would help to support the show going forward. So watch this space on that one. We are, we're thinking about that as well. Obviously, if uh, nobody knows, Nikki Bandini has a, a wonderful interview with Franco Baresi on The Guardian. And she discusses with him, obviously, everything you would want to know about Baresi, from Milan to defending to what stands out um, for him. And of course, the derby. Nikki, as in, obviously, we can we can read the article. But to you, I, I, I'm fascinated by this because, I mean, I know that for me, this makes a difference. But when you do, you interviewed Totti recently and, and Baresi now. Do you have your favorites on who it's easier to speak to or how is it that sometimes you can get to get a little bit more? Did you want more juice from Baresi and felt like you had to be knocked down because, you know, there was somebody there stopping you asking all the questions you wanted to ask? <laughs> I, I, I know what you're getting at here, Mina, because we just talked about this a tiny bit um, um, before we did this recording. Yeah, I, this was... Um, so this interview, you get interviews to journalists all different ways, right? You get interviews uh, through personal contacts, you get interviews through uh, agents, you get interviews through clubs, and you get interviews through um, when uh, a footballer has a particular project, they might be working with a charity, they might be working on their own autobiography, they might have something they want to promote or talk about. So there's all sorts of different ways that, that interviews happen. And this one came about in the first instance, actually, because Badezi has got uh, a, an autobiography out. It's a short autobiography. It's in Italian, unfortunately. So I can't uh, give our English listeners um, uh, any promises about uh, publication of that. But if you speak Italian, oh, my God, I could try, the title's gone right out of my head. It has Libero on it because it's a play on the fact of being free um, and uh, his position, which is Libero, uh, Libero, who sort of plays as a free defender. But um, really... Fun little book, uh, but as he grew up in a very different era and he talks a lot about his childhood and um, growing up on a farm, he didn't even have a television until uh, watching the 1970 World Cup, which is sort of extraordinary. But 
the way it was arranged, even though the book and it was sort of the first point of contact about it, ended up being arranged through the club. And when you are dealing with um, uh, a club, Berezi is the honorary president, honorary vice president of, of AC Milan. Um, clubs tend to have certain things they don't want you to talk about. Uh, I would have been really fascinated to ask Berezi about uh, San Siro because, of course, there is this gradual, slow, and in my feeling, quite sad um steps being taken to move away from San Siro to build a new um, modern football stadium for Milan and Inter. I completely understand the logic for it, but I emotionally, I find it sad. So I would have been interested to get his perspective on that. And that, for instance, was a topic that I started to talk about with Berezi. And as soon as I started to ask him about it, um, was very quickly told by the um, uh, representatives of the club in the room that that was not a thing that we were allowed to talk about, which is a bummer. So that is, you know, a for instance yeah. of, of how things can, can happen when it comes to interviews. But I still thought it was an interesting chat. There were lots of topics we did get to talk about that I was really, really interested to talk about with him. So uh, the book is called Libero di Sognare. Um, That's it, yes. <laughs> I was trying to work out. I knew I had Sognare as well. I just couldn't, couldn't put it together. That I means felt like so much is on for you. I'm surprised that you even remembered. Like, I know exactly. I mean, if, for a second there, when I was asking you the question, I was like, wait, is his name Franco Barresi? Like, that's how bad it's gotten these days. Yes. Yeah. Well, of course, he did have his his brother, um, Pepe Barresi, played for Inter, which is one of yeah. the things that makes them such an extraordinary story. And, and that's an example of something that I'm sure I would have been allowed to ask about, but just didn't have time to, because you also have time restrictions um <laughs> oh, but i would have loved to talk to him about um his brother he does write about that relationship in the book they were on opposite sides of milan but um franco was the younger brother and they had a, a really close relationship that was really sustaining for him as a timid kid who came up from the countryside to go and live in milan knowing that his older brother was there in the same city and, and could look out for him when you think of italian defending um i always think that italy produced the greatest centre-backs in the world um, I know that in his opinion, he's a, a fan of Van Dyke and Marquinhos, as you managed to expose. Mm. For you, do you think he was the, the best defender that we've ever had? I mean, I'm I'm always clinging to my Juve idols, right? And uh, But Baresi was Baresi, right? And there was Maldini afterwards, who will never be forgotten either. But for you, when you think of great defenders, is it him? Is it... Is it anyone else? I, I think it's generational, isn't it? Uh, in the end, we're all attached, most attached, I think, to the players that, that we actually got to see a lot of. Mm. Um, and I, I'm a little young to have seen some of, of Baresi's best years. I saw some of them, but by the time um, by the time I was really getting into football and, and paying attention, it was it was more the Paolo Maldini time. So when I grew up. The, the defender in in my head, the one who I sort of viewed as the best in the world and who I think I probably always will was um was Maldini, although I, I will say I always will have a particular spot in my heart um for Cannavaro just because oh. I saw Italy win a World Cup for the first time with Cannavaro having one of the best tournaments a defender's ever had. Cannavaro is not in the same category as Maldini for overall quality for what he was or through his career, I don't think. But for that one tournament, he was he was incredible. Um, so it's hard to, to frame these things. I do think Baresi, you know, the first World Cup I remember is World Cup 90, but my memory of it is really not a lot. I remember the last couple of games a bit in a fuzzy way. The, the 1994 World Cup, I was much more aware of football and I'd watched the tournament with my family and I watched the final with, um, in actually my 
dad's hometown in Italy, which is a small town. They had a big screen out and it was a real sort of event. Um, and it's the first time I've cried over a football game. Um, oh. and, and so Baresi, of course, had the most extraordinary World Cup in 1994 because he, he came along at the beginning, was the captain, got uh, tore the meniscus in his knee in the second group game, which should keep you out for a couple of months, really, and recovered in 25 days to play in the final and was brilliant in the final. You know, they, they didn't concede a goal against Romario and Babeta, who were ridiculous in that tournament. Um, so I do have a real imprint of Baresi um, from that game. But of course, I also vividly remember that he missed the penalty in, in in the shootout afterwards. So I I think I I definitely have a a memory of him and and thinking he was a brilliant defender. And I remember that story being told lots by my family when we were uh, heading to the game that this was this guy who would somehow come back. Um, but uh, I think um, I think probably Maldini is 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 the one who I remember more vividly. What about you, Mina? I think it's a weird thing that, you know, it's the gentleman thing, right? Like, as in one of the reasons why my idols are my idols had a lot more to do with who they were as men or how I perceived them to be anyway when I was a child, more than maybe Mm. what they could do on the pitch, you know? It's funny how when I get older, I enjoy an Antonio Cassano more than I enjoy anything else in life, you know, just because (laughs) I, I like somebody who's so honest about their opinions, even if sometimes you're like, what are you saying? Or I totally agree or whatever it is, but. Growing up, you know, Barezi, Shireyam, it was like they were just such good people, you know, and you felt such great authority figures and, and, and such great men. And yes, Cannavaro was great, but there was also a part of me that was like, Nesta, he's just so magnificent and it seemed oh, to all Nesta come naturally to wonderful. him. Right? Yeah. Nesta was a wonderful defender. I wonder if that had something to do with it, I guess. But um what are his thoughts on this current Milan? Do you think that, he, I mean, obviously he he knows this is the right way to go. He, I'm sure that he's really proud of the steps they have taken to really build a future. Do you think they really, um, they can get back to being Milan? I mean, we're talking about like, you know, the the side that has such supremacy over European competition. Yeah, I, I think you have to bear in mind, you always have to bear in mind the context of all these interviews. And the context with Baresi is that he is an honorary vice president of Milan. So he's not going to come to an interview and, and say bad things about Milan. <laughs> but I still thought it was interesting that um, when I sort of put him on the spot and was like, can this team win the league? And and is the word Scudetto vietato, is the word Scudetto banned? Which is this narrative we get so often in Italy. Oh no, we, the, you know, superstition, can't say the word. And he was pretty sort of um clear about that he said no you have to have ambition you have to um acknowledge that you that you want to do this thing and and, and aim for it and there's no reason for them to be shy of that they have the qualities that he thinks they had the best quality of any team in the league so far this season and i think that personally i think he was being honest the way he the way he phrased it the way the words came out i think he was being honest about his opinion that they're the team that has played the best football. But even if you don't want to take that at face value because he's the honorary vice president of Milan, which is a very reasonable position to take, um, I think you can still say that it's striking for a team that, let's not forget, went seven consecutive seasons without even being in the Champions League. I think when you have representatives of the club willing to say that, that in itself is a statement about where the club is. Because it's it's indicative of confidence. And I think that confidence is something that's running through Milan right now. Confidence, not necessarily 
when I say that, do I mean confidence that everyone's bullish, we're going to win the league? But just that self-confidence to say, yes, we're Milan, we should be trying to win the league is something that I think was missing for the club for a while. Okay, everyone, if you didn't catch that, it is Nicky Bandini's interview with Franco Baresi about his book, and that can be found on The Guardian's website. Make sure to check that out, and the link to the article will be in the show notes. Actually, Nikki, I think it's your turn to do the wrap-up, so give me a break and let me put my feet up. <laughs> we uh, will be uh, back on Friday with uh, our Chronicles Q&A mailbag show. Um, get your questions to us on Twitter at SyriaChronPod with the hashtag Chronicles Q&A. Uh, links for our social media will be in the show notes. Find us on Twitter at Nikki Bandini, at Mina Rizuki. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Only the good Tell ones. Tell us how great it was. Tell us how great it was to hear Gab on the show again. And if you all tell us how great it was, maybe we can convince him to come back again sometime. Uh, <laughs> uh, consider supporting the show at seriochronicles.com forward slash supporter. And we will be back um, on Friday with Q&A and then back next week with some chat about Italy and hopefully confirming mine and Gab's bullishness that they are heading on to the World Cup in Qatar. Um, but for now, uh, we'll see you soon. Ciao for now. Poi è Massaro che tocca a corto, ma c'è Baresi. Palleggio di Baresi è puntata, precisa a favore di Baggio. Ecco ancora Romario, fermato da Baresi. Vedeto. Cerca di accelerare ma Baresi è una roccia là dietro. Romario, 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 Baresi. Arriva Masigno, la palla per Bebeto, Bebeto e Baresi, ancora Baresi, stupendamente ferma l'iniziativa degli avversari da applausi. Nel vero senso della parola la prestazione di Baresi. Viola, penetrazione di Viola, sempre Viola, poi Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.